thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brutes, where we tell the stories behind your favorite beer. This is Sound Guy Ryan, and joining me, as always, is Erica and Matt and our new friend, Dave. Hey, Dave. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Good. We don't want to tell our listeners who we're interviewing <laughs> just yet, even though if they've been seeing our promos for a week. But if you're just going in blind and for some reason you didn't look at the episode description in your phone app or wherever, we'll let our listeners know who we're interviewing <laughs> in one second. But, Erica, we checked another state off of our 50 states. Yeah. Better believe it. What state are we at today? Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. You know, Maryland is a pretty small state, right? In the grand I, scheme I, of things. In the grand scheme of things. I've gone to like Virginia a couple of times, like family trips. Mm. And for me, Maryland felt like the longest state because I think I was just so anxious to get out of the car <laughs> and like on the road trip to Virginia. Like I was like, oh, are we there yet? And my parents would be like, no, we're, we're so still close. in Maryland. <laughs> like, How long is this state? <laughs> but uh, other than that, I like Maryland. I like the, the crabs that come out of Maryland. Uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah, Crab I do. Crab is great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, why don't we just tell our listeners who we're interviewing? We're interviewing Duke Law. Yeah, we got Dave. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes, so I did. this episode is going to be recorded a couple weeks before this comes out, so we're going to touch upon a couple things real quick, but what are you drinking right now? Uh, for me, um, actually, I'm drinking our getaway message, which was actually released a couple weeks ago, or oh. a couple months ago, actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that's what I had in my refrigerator. Nice, nice. Talk about getaway message. Is that a sour or what is that? It's a IPA. Okay. Um, so we call it a pina colada hazy, Ooh, but fun. it's um, brewed with uh, pineapple juice, toasted coconut flakes. So it's a New England hazy uh, with those uh, two things kind of fruited up a little bit more and then the coconut. So Nice. Sign me up. That and whatever awesome. I brought home, my wife drank. So that's what I yeah. got. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so we get into our episodes. Um, we ask our guests right when we start uh, their role at the brewery and their first memory of beer. Sure. Well, I'm the founder, so I started it way, way back in the day. Um, and for me, I really didn't start drinking alcohol until late. Like I was 18 going right into college. So I slammed right into alcohol. Um, but um, so for us, it was drinking um, Michelob Dry was was the upscale drink Dry. when you're drinking so fancy uh, yeah and uh, was that a brewed ipa no, i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah 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 and then uh uh bush light um okay. was the one that actually started everything because it was around nine ninety nine ten dollars a case and then in junior year one of my roommates brought back a homebrew kit where you can make two cases of beer for ten dollars so our scheme was to double the amount of alcohol we could consume that the same price. <laughs> when did you for, first fall in love with craft beer? Uh, so that was 1990, um, right before I turned 21. Um, was another advantage there. Um, we started home brewing. Or, um, didn't realize there was craft out at the time. Um, you were, I was a college student at Loyola in Baltimore. And um, when we brought the homebrew kits in is where we first started to understand a porter or an Ambry SB um, in styles rather than just beer or lager. And um, we brewed for about a year without knowing anything. And then our in our senior year is where we started really branching out and discovering that there were breweries around Baltimore. Baltimore Brewing Company at the time was very much into German styles. It's where it was first introduced into Oktoberfest or Meritzens. Nice. And um, so it really kind of started when I turned 21, 22. Back in ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, were you studying like chemistry or anything of that nature? What were you studying at college? Uh, it was business admin and computer science. So nothing to do with beer <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I'm always curious. Did you ever use that degree, um, or was it just like straight into beer? Actually, both. Um, I didn't use it prior. So my family has a uh, electrical contracting, so wiring buildings, and that's where I thought I was going to end up. Um, I. Worked there for three years while I built the plan for the brewery. And then, so I started working there in 92. And then I opened the brewery, the first brew pub. We were a restaurant and brewery in 96. So, and always, so I used it for a while. Always known as Duclaw. Always known as Duclaw, yeah. yeah. Talk about that name. Where did that come from? So, um, Duclaw is an old English word that means kind of craft be cherished, rules be damned in a sense. And that's why we adopted it. 
and um, it uh, kind of stuck that way. Nice. Actually, that's a lie. Completely. Oh. Lie. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sounds so cool. Yeah. We've made up hundreds of lies where it comes from. <laughs> okay. So I've got like dozens. Um, cool. And uh, where, how it started, um, not so cool. Um, when in 94, 95, I was doing a lot of home brewing, test batching, trying to get this opened. And I would bring my friends in and show them the different beers. And at that time, there people are actually kind of scared to drink it because they're like, wait, you made this? And is it going to hurt me? Yeah, I'm not going to die, and, right? Yeah. 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 And we're tasting all different beers, and then we're trying to come up with a name. And I was like, well, I wanted something that had a historic feel because I was very big to bring, like, we're bringing history back from Prohibition kind of stuff. But you want it edgy and cool at the same time. So to my 25-year-old brain, do was like DuPont. And then Claw was Claw was edgy, and I stuck it together, presented it to my friends, and they're like, that's the stupidest name I ever heard of. (laughs) And I just stuck with it, and it just kind of grew on everyone. 25 years later, joke's on them. So That's right. Exactly. Exactly. In the 90s, uh, I think we saw a – I was – five years old, so I really can't talk about this, but hearing from my parents, hearing from other brewers that we've interviewed, there was a a surge of brew pubs in the 90s Mm -hmm. that you saw, and then – there's no brew pubs today. So how did you survive the brew pub yeah. craze? And then well, I'll go back to the gray beer. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so yeah, the, the laws were a lot different back then. So you really had, especially in Maryland, but in most states, you had two ways to be a brewery, a full production brewery where you just produced beer, packaged and shipped it out and customers never came by and you sold through a distribution network or you had a restaurant and a brewery and restaurant laws applied. You had to have at least 50% food sales. So you had to become a full-fledged restaurant. Um, so that was the way that small breweries could get into it. As soon as those tap laws change, or tap room laws changed where you could open up a tap room and you didn't have to serve food and didn't have to run a full-fledged restaurant, they died off. And we actually, we had three restaurants and I actually sold off my last one and like early 2018. Wow. So, because as soon as I went into production side and did that, you don't want to be in the restaurant world. Oh, for so. sure. It's, it's rough. Yeah. yeah. Very, <laughs> much so. very much so. Definitely. I'd like to backtrack a little bit. So when did home brewing become less of a hobby to, you know, save money with drinking? And, and you were like, man, this is, what was that moment in time? Can you remember that you were like, yeah, shit, I want to make this crazy like decision <laughs> to be in the beer industry. So um, I was destined to go into my family's business, and uh, which was nice. It was great, um, but um, it didn't fill the creative juices of coming up with stuff. And then going into the beer in the room, you got to remember this was pre-internet, so there wasn't like looking things up. You had to go buy magazines and read about it, and there wasn't much out there. In my senior year, before you're graduating, ready to go off into the work world, you were like, man, wouldn't it be great if you brewed this beer and sold it to people rather than doing pulling wire in a in a house for a living and i was like no one is doing that nowadays and but the craft beer revolution really began back in 88 87 kind of coming out remember i was on east coast so that was west coast and but there were still breweries in maryland and in baltimore and so that was really the impetus to do it and then my one roommate we thought we would do it together but then we had a kind of difference of opinion i didn't feel that the production side selling a distributor model was going to work because why would distributors want to sell your product? How could you compete for that shelf space? You control everything in a restaurant. And it was right, but foolish still. And so we kind of went our separate ways in brewing. He actually opened up a brewery too and um, and eventually sold and moved on to a whole different industry. Um, but you know, it was senior year in college you know, before the real world hit you. So then how did your family feel about you? Totally deviating from what you're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to do. Your destiny. Yeah, your destiny. (laughs) Well, referencing back to when I didn't drink alcohol until I was 18, both of my parents did not drink. So we had no alcohol in the house. So they weren't in love with it, especially (laughs) my mother. Um, But they were extremely helpful. In fact, when I built the brew pub, um, we had to build it from the ground up the building itself because we leased the ground. And my father took like two months off work from running the company to help build the building to make sure I didn't screw it up. <laughs> so safe to say you have good wiring. They've, they've, yeah, good wiring. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they've come around. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. 25 years is a long time, right, to be mm-hmm. in business. What are you doing right? 
Uh, changing, I think, was the big thing. Um, and that's our industry as a whole. I mean, craft beer started as a massive change, you know. Um, I happen to be early, 96, even then, you had to really tell people why you didn't want to drink Bud Coors or Miller mm. and really drag them along, and now you don't have to. Um, but craft beer has evolved a lot, and you're, you're forced to change a lot, and as long as you're used to it, which we are, um, you're used to seeing all the cyclical changes, all the major shifts, um, and uh, just keep changing and finding those new styles and what people like. And uh, we see a, what comes around goes around now. You know, things that were once old now are cool and new, and you see that rippling through too. But change. Do you have any core brands from when you started? Uh, no. <laughs> so we re-released a few. Yep. Um, just as throwback this year being the 25th. Um, so we started with uh, five beers. Um, what we did differently too back then was a lot of people, especially brew pubs, had their pale ale or their mm. porter. Uh, we elected, we wanted to name each brand. We wanted a connection. We felt that somebody drinking a porter is possibly very different than a person that was drinking a blonde ale or an amber. So we had names for each one of them. And we rotated very quickly, very soon and within the first year or so, we were releasing like seven different seasonals in a year. Then eventually we up to 12 or 13, which was really aggressive back then. But they've all kind of become somewhat passe. We did re-release, um, we did a beer called Euphoria. It wasn't one of the originals, but was close, which was a English toffee nut brown ale uh, with all the toffee nut flavor coming from an almond toffee coffee. Which is like a nice. popular flavor right now. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's to your point of what comes around. Yeah, and it's a crushable beer. So most of our beers, especially back then, were designed for a restaurant within mine. So yep. you had to you had to go along with food. You had to complement it. So very crushable, great drinkable. I think it's like five point one, five point two percent. Crushable. If you were to say the word crushable twenty five years ago, what, what would you have interpreted <laughs> that word as? <laughs> uh, as? As light as it could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of our favorite brews. We, it's kind of Coors Lake County, and our original was in Hartford County, Maryland, Bel Air, Maryland, which is about 20 minutes north of Baltimore. And Coors Light was the by far the most popular brand. And um, so we actually had, um, in brewing our, our, one of our, I think it was our second or third brew in the new brew house, which is a 15-barrel JV Northwest, the gas orifice that comes in, allows the gas to go in to heat the kettle because it was direct fired kettle had a problem stuck open so it overboiled oh. <laughs> so i had to basically spray it down the whole time to keep it from overboiling so it took a mertzen down very added much much more water to game light so we actually called it dewclaw light just because i couldn't afford <laughs> to throw the batch of beer away people loved it nice. so yeah. um but uh that's what they would consider crushable just just above water yeah wow <laughs> very little hot just above water yeah that's great so taking it back there again, you know, you're making this brewery 25 years ago. There's really no other breweries around. You know, who are your role models and, and how did you even do it all with, like, by yourself? Uh, it was tough. Actually, one of my kind of regrets is I wish I had partners or other people there. But um, brewery-wise, Baltimore Brewing Company, uh, which is no longer around, but it was a very big inspiration. They brewed some incredibly good beer. Um, the professor there was a guy named Theo DeGroen. Um, I only met him once or twice, so it wasn't like we ever worked together, but just the whole process. And um, and then uh, trained um, out at a uh, brew pub in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky, and they were extremely helpful. Bluegrass Brewing Company, it was called. Okay. And the brewer there um, was extremely helpful because that's how I learned how to brew on a larger system. You know, before that, I brewed with Home a five-gallon five bucket. Gallons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what brewery number you were in the state? Uh, that is a good question. I think I was... So there was Baltimore Brewing Company. There was Sissons, which eventually became Heavy Seas. Mm -hmm. It started as a brew pub. I might have been fourth or third. Wow. Wow. So it's hard to know. I don't know if um, there was a brewery called out of Frederick called Blue Ridge Brewing Company, which is where Fine Dog is now. Um, they might have opened before me or right after. It's hard to tell. Yeah. How many are there present day? Um, well, Sissons is, Clipper City is still around. Baltimore Brewing Company isn't there. Blue Ridge has been gone for a decade, two decades now. 
Yeah, so almost two decades. I guess more present day, but how many breweries total? Oh, are there now? Yeah, oh, Maryland. <laughs> I like countless. Um, I would say there's at least twenty five to thirty or forty. It's it's hard to tell because there's um there's a lot of um like farm breweries and other breweries that open up and they're they might be in Western Maryland, which is like an hour and a half away. Yeah. So from where we are, so uh, you don't even know that they've opened. <laughs> they're like a whole other world. Right, Almost right. in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so I want to get into what the Maryland beer scene is like, but we do have to talk to our sponsors real quick, Sound Guy Ryan. So why don't you cue them up, and we'll catch you on the other side. Did you know that your favorite Massachusetts breweries use hops from a local family-owned hop farm right here in Massachusetts? Our friends over at Four Star Farms are there for you, whether you're a commercial brewery or a small-batch home brewer. Make sure to head over to their website today and get your hands on some of the best and freshest hops available locally. Cheers. At our local homebrew shop, Beer and Wine Hobby, you can get everything you need to make beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Not sure where to start? They have knowledgeable staff there to help. Beer and Wine Hobby is family-owned and located in Danvers, Massachusetts. Visit their website, beer-wine.com, and use our promo code BRUITS for 10% off your online order today. Shirts on Tap is the box subscription service for craft beer lovers. Each month, Shirts on Tap partners up with seven different breweries from across the country and collaborates on a sweet custom shirt design. We've been teamed up with Shirts on Tap since the inception of the podcast and are proud to announce a new promo code for all of our listeners. To get your first shirt for $5 off, go to the link in our description below and use the promo code. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. So you've been open for 25 years. A lot of things have changed. How would you describe you've like evolved and kind of kept with the times um definitely embracing new styles and mm-hmm. kind of new ingredients going in it's something that we always did um even in uh like as we expanded and opened multiple restaurants one of the challenges we faced as a as a brew pub was as we put a new beer on how do we make a big deal of it and right. um this was right when email was becoming very popular and so on and we kind of struck onto a system where get on our email list, come in, redeem a token, get a t-shirt or a glass for each release. And then we actually crafted these movies um, where we would play this two minute, almost like a movie trailer to kind of introduce the beer. That's cool. <laughs> Shut the restaurant down. Basically couldn't order food, couldn't order a beer. You had to watch this. There was a definite difference between pre beer and post beer as it released. And that time in the restaurant really kind of taught us that connection with the customer and then really understanding them and where their likes are going and their trends and and experimenting. So we had to do this once a month. So we were constantly looking for new beers and they had to be different enough. You couldn't just say, oh, here's a, a here's our um, a pale ale. And instead of using Cascade, we use more Chinook. Right. We had to make drastically. So we were forced to explore styles from Baltic porters to um, uh, just ingredients like the euphoria putting that uh, ground coffee in there. I don't want to call it groundbreaking, but at the time it was very unusual yeah. to put coffee into beer. Yeah. Where were you coming up with all these ideas? Just surrounding breweries or research? Um, uh, yeah, I call it research. So we'd have <laughs> our launch and uh, the whole team gets together from uh, the brew team to the marketing team and so on. And there was like 10 of us. And you're at the release and you're drinking beer and getting a little toasty. Yep. <laughs> and you come up with stupid ideas, but then you commit yourself to those stupid ideas and they send, tend to turn out. So it's it's funny you mentioned stupid ideas, right? Hey, rumor has it you weren't a fan of sours. Correct. So <laughs> was sour considered a stupid idea back in the day? Uh, no, actually, um, I. I wasn't not a personal fan of it just because of the bite. Um, and then I went to a, a local brewery and tried one of their, uh, it was um, actually a Goza that they had mm. uh, that had apricot in it. 
And just from sampling that, knowing I wasn't going to like it, but just sampling that one, it kind of clicked all of a sudden. I can see why people start liking this. And then we made a very big push to go into Kettle Sours. So yeah. we just see the connection <laughs> and kind of just opened up almost like an epiphany. Um, I'm still not a huge fan personally <laughs> of them. I can get through half a can, three quarters of a can. Um, though there are some that completely change my mind yeah. where I'm like, wow, this is just delicious. But then the tartness and some of them can take over and or a lot of fruit. That kind of gets me. But um, no, it never, never was negative, though there were brewers in, in our facility, not with us anymore, but um, they just, um, they were resistant to it because kettle souring, introducing um Bacteria, even and though things. it's not too much of a bacteria, yeah. That, yeah, and a bacteria and the cleaning and all the extra work, um, it made them nervous. But, um, like again, we just tend to something hits us and we tend to run forward, and then either it's a great idea or it's a stupid idea, but we realize it, <laughs> yeah. So, Sour Me is the, the brand I'm talking about. Is that, yeah, is that one of the ones that you're most known for today, you think? Or, yes, I would okay. say so. It's taken over. So we launched that as a basic kettle sour and then kind of expanded it now into a series uh, where about every eight weeks we come out with a new sour me. And then the one that really took off is we um, went to do a collaboration with a local donut shop called Diablo Donuts. And he makes crazy donuts. I mean, he had a um, a sloppy Joe donut. <laughs> and he's done all these beer dinners with these crazy donuts. They're delicious. And I was down there looking at a few and had a blackberry lime. And I thought, oh, that would make a great sour to collaborate with. And then he's like, you want to sample some? And took me over. And they had a donut that had fruity pebbles on it. Yep. And he called it unicorn farts. <laughs> and it just yeah. clicked. Yep. So then we went back. And first goal was, how do you make it taste like fruity pebbles? What does fruity pebbles taste like? And we kind of figured that out. And then one of my marketing team had an idea saying, look, if you're going to call a beer unicorn farts, you kind of have to own it. So I think we should put <laughs> glitter in it. Yeah, And right. we went and did that, and then it took off uh, like crazy. But um, So that's the one we're most known for in the Sour Me series. But we do, like I said, I think we did seven this year. Yeah, I saw a Nerds one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was a uh, IPA. Oh, it was the IPA. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it was. Um, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. I get confused. With <laughs> yep, yep. The, we did a uh, hop tarts beer. Okay. That was an IPA, but the gotcha. nerds was, uh, it definitely was a sour. We, uh, that one did extremely well for us. Yeah. For like just no. brewing in general, like, do you regret making any of these crazy beers, like the, a glitter beer or whatever? It's, uh, it feels like a love no. and hate thing. Yeah. Someone is always going to love it and someone's always right. going to hate yeah. it. In fact, years ago we had a thing where I was like, you know, I don't want a beer in the middle. You either want you to love me or I want you to hate me because at least there's passion in one direction. Um, but there's a lot of craft beer customers. And for every person that doesn't like it, there's someone that does. And um, coming from the restaurant world where you're seeing the guests face-to-face and many different guests that come in, you start to learn that, oh, I've got an idea that you're going to like. You might not like it. You don't have to drink it. But you're really going to like it. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how we brew beers for the person we think that's going to enjoy it. And um, that one was a lark of a beer. We didn't <laughs> expect it to be big. Right, We right. just thought it was cool and it you're sounded like, oh, cool. man, I wish my, my, my Oktoberfest was the one that took off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it does, and then you just roll with it. Yeah. But no, there's no beer. Um, as long as we hit what we wanted to do, that we have regrets, we've gotten into plenty of trouble. One our, one. Our, probably most well-known for besides unicorn is a chocolate peanut butter porter, sweet baby Jesus. And that got me into a ton of trouble. Actually got on Fox news. Oh, wow. Where, yeah. So, you know, it was a kind of a bucket list item to be interviewed <laughs> on national news. Right. Before it was over though, there was like 8,000 emails into the company about how I'm going to burn in hell for oh, what geez. I've done. Wow. And so, yeah. Well, but you're still figured, here. So yeah. Yeah. cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what your opinion is on, I, I seem to think that people who, quote unquote, talk shit about, you know, a beer that has glitter or somebody puts free pebbles in it. Do you think the people who, you know, talk shit about it is a vocal minority? Or do you think there are a lot of people who just want to have a, a lager, a clean lager, or they just want to have a straightforward IPA? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of think both. I think because um, I'm one that, you know, when you have that well-crafted um, uh I don't want to call it basic beer, but a lager, 
um, a Meritson or whatever into that, you love that appreciation of it. And I see our industry sometimes where I see beers where I'm like, it's kind of really jumped the shark, but at the same time, you're grabbing for people's attention. Um, but if it sells, if you have good volume from it, then the market, in my sense, is kind of spoken. There is a group out there that wants it. And I think some people also uh, critique beer or really anything to lift themselves up to right. say that I know more by putting this down. Um, but they don't have to drink it was my thing is, you know, if I launch a beer, any other brewery launches a beer and you don't like it, you don't have to drink it There's if you like other beer. But I definitely hear and can agree with that swell of you want to go back to the basics. And, and we do that. Um, the, the challenge for a craft brewery is if I'm trying to convince someone to grab my beer, how do I, in a 10-second window that you're walking into a liquor store, convince you that this lager is you're going to love? Right. And it's a, that's a definite marketing challenge. So do you can any lagers, or is it kind of maybe more of just a tap room? No, we do. So okay. we do. And we actually do it and make fun of ourselves. So our <laughs> our lager is... Um, called regular beer so <laughs> it's a Perfect. white label with black lettering because um, over the years um, one of the critiques we'd get all the time is when are you going to make a beer that tastes like beer right when are you going to make a regular beer right. and so as we came out with that um, we're trying to solve that marketing problem if i'm going to talk to you about a lager how do i make it look different than everyone else's and we went with the most generic type label you could most generic type name you could because it stood out from everything else interesting and so but that we wear with a, also a badge of honor is, you know, brewing a lager that you think is a quality enough level, you can't hide mistakes. For so sure. you have to be able to do everything well. Yeah. Agreed. We, we love lagers, so we definitely can understand mm -hmm. that appreciation. Yeah. What's your opinion on the word hype? Uh, <laughs> I got to there. I got to there. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, it is a love and hate relationship. Okay. Um, kind of like that two-claw model, right? You're like, I, yeah. I want to be loved or hated. Yeah. That's right. It's a we're a business, so we live off of hype. The hype is is advertising dollars we don't have to spend. You yeah. know, if we got to compete with someone, if you can get that hype and people talk about it, it goes viral. That's your sales and convinces people to try it. Um, at the same time, um, it just brings both bad and good. And unicorn farts the same thing. Yeah, you got a lot of people that just email us in saying, "Why? Why did you do this?" Like <laughs> you know, like we rob them and at the same time you got other people that are like this is the coolest thing i can't wait to get my hands on it the scary part is if the hype gets too great and they go out and get the beer and you've done everything you wanted to do and they're disappointed because the hype outpaced the beer but we can't control that and all we can do is brew the beer and craft the message we want to craft and then after that you know the kind of market takes over do you feel like you had a good foundation so you can chase the hype almost where there are a lot of breweries who may or may not have the foundation that you have that are chasing the hype, kind of taking a chance. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see it where if you, one of our thing is if we say it's on the label, if we, if we talk about something, we have to deliver. Mm -hmm. So when you create the hype, but you don't deliver is where I think some breweries can get into challenges and problems yeah. of kind of going for the hype and then trying to build the beer behind it rather than build the beer and then generate the hype from it or allow it to generate itself. Um, and knowing your customer. If yep. your customer is into the hype and it works, all the power to you. So being a, a brewery that's brewing sours, right, your beers, you're not blind to it. They get traded across the country. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes sour beers re-ferment or, <laughs> you know, you yeah. know or how people are handling it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is that a frustration for you or is that how do we educate our our beer drinkers to drink these kettle sours quicker yeah not quicker but you know don't let them sit in the fridge for four weeks treat them you know? better treat them better yeah. you know it's like a banana or, you know don't have a yeah. you know exactly exactly yeah we have some people that they'll occasionally get it and it's a six month old product and it's not only that it might just be bad it's just not great because you know that fruit that you smashed in right at the end and all that other stuff it's kind of fading now as time goes mm. on um I think this is one thing that does come with age in the brew in the brewing industry is you're just patient. You know that people circle in and they gather in and they clump and they get it. Um, it's better than years and years ago where the internet allows for that, you know, putting out that information so people can learn much faster. Um, 
and then you still go back and you find you you brew for the people out there that get it and the ones that do you sell it if someone's like hey i didn't do it you try to explain to them and you just don't don't let it bug you too much Hmm. um for example i rarely rarely listen to reviews on twitter i just it just if i think we did well and you go to a couple of customers you go to people you know and you listen um you just don't want to because you know obviously one of the jokes we make all the time is somebody says i give this a one out of four i hate ipas yeah yeah all right so i want to get in on the other side of this somebody told you that your branding sucks once upon a time ago mm-hmm. and uh, i want to get into that conversation and and did that change a lot of things but before we do that we have a word from our sponsors Are you a solo artist, band, podcaster, or anyone else who needs recording services? Well, we got a place for you where your vision can become a reality. Welcome to Small Pond Studios, built by hand with heart and sweat equity by musicians for musicians. Go to smallpondstudios.io to reach out to get more information. And make sure you let them know that Brute sent you. Hey, Sound Guy Ryan here. Didn't know if you heard, but we're a part of the Hopped Up Network. There you'll find other informative podcasts about beer. So go ahead, follow them on social media, and visit them on their website, hoppedupnetwork.com, to learn more about the people, beer, and breweries from around the country. And until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. All right, so we're back with this hard-hitting question. So I have to admit, this question was kind of fed to us from... Who is it? Yeah, from Madeline. From Madeline, yeah. right. But I, I, it's funny. It's cool to hear the story. Uh, so you, you were told from your vice president of sales that branding sucks. What year was this that you were told? Uh, I think it was 2017. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so not kind of recent, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you did you guys did you think you were firing all all cylinders and like everything was great at this time or was that something? no okay so um so for us we grew like a weed from 2012 to 2016 like massive so I spent a lot of my energy just trying to produce enough beer um, seeing the market change we were I was trying to push into change and then all of a sudden you kind of ran into with that growth and you know, people was personnel we weren't clicking as a team. And um, uh, as we tried to push into an area, it just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden it hit our sales. Like we could see it. It was just going down. People were spinning into tap rooms. They wanted more of different styles that we weren't offering and trying to push to that. And had started making pretty seismic changes inside the company. And then um, was pushing actually for 16-ounce cans with my local distributor in Baltimore who was pushing back that that's – that's where you price at low prices and high volume. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to put this like premium product in it. Mm. And we were going back and forth with him, and he took me out to a local um, liquor store here in Maryland and to their craft brand manager there, and who actually turned out to eventually become my sales manager. And we went in there to um, kind of get information on the 16-ounce can. And he provided a lot more information just on the 16-ounce cans. He kind of went through each beer and said, you, you know, you're feeling stagnant here. I don't like this here. I like the liquid, but this isn't it, which was, in a way, a, a lot where I was already trying to push us and move into. And it just solidified in the mind that here's a guy that knows craft beer extremely well, sees a ton of brands, and just came in and just kind of laid it out very nicely. It wasn't like a uh, in-your-face conversation. <laughs> yeah. A lot of thought was behind it, how he did it, and a lot of it lined up with where I said, hey, this is where I think I want to move to. So it just it was like a stake in the ground. Like I knew this is where I want to go, and we started and just pushed and made the changes. And then about nine months later, he came to an event we had and then said, hey, I'd like to come work for you. Because everything I said you should do, you went and did. <laughs> and um, to listen like that after me trashing the brand um, was cool. So and then he came to work for me as a as a sales rep, and now he's my uh, sales manager, sales director of sales. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you find as though the 16-ounce can is the optimum size right now, or do you think we'll ever go back to the 12-ounce format? Um, 
So in craft, I think it replaces the 22-ounce bottle. The bombers? Well. Yeah. 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 Yes. And so it allows um, s- small batch specialty, and it signals right away. Even to me right now, if you put a 12-ounce IPA and you put the same beer in a 16-ounce can, not tasting it, no label or generic label, same label, I'm going to tell you that I think the 16-ounce can is going to be a better product. That's with all that's the information I have is those two sizes because that size has signified through tasting so many beers that the better quality beers are in the 16 ounce, the higher volume beers are in the 12 ounce. Right. And you're it's a, just in my mind. You're a more educated beer drinker though. And if you're trying to mm-hmm. capitalize on the well, it's Budweiser kind of like drinker, right? in a 16 yeah. ounce yeah. Yeah. and Budweiser, big beers in the 12 ounce. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. Do you, yeah. do you find that struggle still? I know earlier in the conversation you talked about, you don't have to convince people that as much that Bud reigns supreme or Coors reigns supreme, but do you still find that ever that you have to kind of still fight? I mean, what's the percentage that, what is it like 12% of the market is craft beer and then the other 88% yeah. is, is, um, don't quote me on that listeners. All right. That, that <laughs> yeah. could be wrong, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you still find you have to fight? Yes. And even new stuff. Like I would say like 88% of the market is Bud and Seltzer. Like yeah, self exploded. Yeah. Perfect segue. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everywhere. And you are fighting and you're even fighting liquor and you're fighting wine because you're in that high level taste and, and you know, you're trying to provide flavor. Somebody's trying to come to you and say, man, I, I really enjoy drinking this and I'm going to have five or six because I want to catch a buzz or I might only have one tonight and I want it to be really good. Mm. Um, definitely so. Um and even though we deal with the end consumer, I realize as a, most breweries do, is you have not only the retail, you have the distributor. So you're fighting for mind share even from the distributor side of, you know, are you worth the sell? Like even if I sell 100 of these cases and these, these things go for $22 a six-pack, is that really worth it for me? So, yes, we're always fighting um, and uh, it forces us to innovate even as a total industry is how you can – change things so as long as we're making them react to us and we're not reacting to them you feel good but yeah you're always fighting are you dabbling in the seltzer game uh no we <laughs> looked years ago actually and somewhat regret because i'd certainly love to be selling that volume um yep. but um we went as far as even designing a complete separate brand all packaging for it and so on, and then we just didn't do it. And the main reason we didn't do it was we make a living by creating unique flavors, unique combinations of flavors with items out there, ingredients out there, just like baking in a way. And the seltzer game really is I can have no sugar in the beer, but I have to have some flavor, and you're going to get that through brewing the cleanest liquid you can or filtering it down or... Stripping out of everything. Something. Yeah. yeah. And then adding a, a flavor that can't contain sugar, which most likely is an extract. Mm. And not that I have anything against extracts. We use them uh, in things where you have to because you have no other alternatives. But it didn't allow me to differentiate. I couldn't figure out how I would be different than someone else. Like, why would you drink mine over somebody else's? Yeah. Um, so you'd put all this effort into something that it doesn't matter. It's eeny, meeny, miny, mo. They're all the same. Yeah, and I'm not good at that. Like, I'm not good at volume plays or negotiating deals and contracts with someone that pushes somebody else out of the market and keeps me up front because that's how they win. I'm good at making something where somebody goes, wow, that's kind of cool. And I can't do that with a seltzer. So I was like, I just still can't figure it out. We took it all the way to the end and just said, no, I just don't think I'm going to do this well and it's going to distract me. I have enough challenges every day. I don't need another one. So. <laughs> right, right. So kind of going back, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, you're talking about unicorn farts and all this crazy stuff that goes into that beer. You know, mm-hmm. how many iterations do those beers go through before you package them and sell them to consumers? Do you have to make That's like 10 different pilot batches or? Uh, some of them are six to eight oh, versions wow. as <laughs> we tweak. Some are two-ish um, just depending on the challenges in a beer. If it's, um, say it's um, an IPA-based in our 60-ounce series, our DIPA series where we do it, they might get two versions done because you're really dealing with hops and some other stuff. Uh, Unicorn was 
five or six because we were really playing with percentages of certain fruit flavors yeah. to say how do we like it. Um, and some of them are like some of them really kind of push the boundary. And actually, I'll look here and see um, where, uh, for example, we did a Mexican hot chocolate, a pastryarchy. So we have a series called Pastryarchy, nice. which is kind of a dessert stout, sometimes even imperial browns. And you're balancing a pepper flavor, a chocolate flavor into that and body with it. And so that can take upwards of five or six as you change grain bills, as you're deciding you want more pepper or less pepper. Um, and um, so some of them can take a good long time. Some of them are one and done. Some you taste a test batch that wasn't even on the schedule and you're like, that is damn good. Let's <laughs> yeah. make it. And yeah. Go. Yeah. So what do you do with the test batches? Are they, I assume they're on like a three barrel system or something like that? A homebrew system. It's, oh, just, um, okay. So actually... Hopefully one day I'll put one of those yeah. in, like a three or five <laughs> or seven. But um, yeah, it's a it's basically um, a half barrel system. Okay. Um, and actually, some of my brewers, one of them, exceptionally great, uh, creative brewer. Um, he has a very nice system at home, so he'll brew at home. He still brews at home. He brings beers in that he's brewed for his wife and so on. And um, so he'll brew at home sometimes too. He gets a great gig. Cool. He's like, I'm working yeah. the whole day brewing beer, <laughs> drinking beer. Yeah, so, that's awesome. That is fun. When a beer does well, right, and it does, does it typically do well in the tap room and then it goes into the market? Or have you just pushed one out into the market and said, like, we're going to take a chance? So we don't have a tap room. This is one of my challenges. After I got rid of the restaurant. Okay, no tap room anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The tap room laws in Maryland didn't come into effect in 2015. Okay. So I got rid of my restaurants in 2018 and was trying to put a tap room in and had it scheduled for 2020. And then that didn't work out. Oh, yeah. Something happened during that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's my big project next year, now that I'm relatively sure we won't shut back down again, um, is to get the tap room open. But so, no, most of them we put right out. Um, um, We've become very good over the years um, as we taste certain test batches, just kind of figuring out what that beer is and, and rolling it and putting it out. We have a lot of creative people. Um, we are constantly tasting beers. So our sales reps, I have uh, five or six sales reps over the, the 20 or four, 2024 states that we're in. So as they're visiting and doing, they're grabbing beers and mailing them back to us. So we taste actually so many beers sometimes I can tell you, man, I like that beer, but I can't even remember the name of it because I tasted 25 different beers right. this week as we go through. Um, and we get a good group tasting going on, pick things we like, and then you... Um, as you go and you create, you can be like, man, that fits exactly where I think it can be here. We can target this group and it can work. And no beer, when we create it, do we think it's going to be big? We look who we're making it for. And even if it's a single batch for us, that could work great. But, and then if one catches fire, you roll with it. So here's our creative side. And then when it does well, our business side likes to brew a lot of it. Hmm. So let's talk about this transition. You had three restaurants or brew pubs, right? And now you're going to have a tavern, but you don't. So yeah. what's that transition been like? How, I mean, you got, you're still here, obviously, so it's doing okay. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge in that is answering when people show up at the brewery, um, asking when the taproom hours are and we right. have a taproom. <laughs> right. So, um, but uh, it, it, we've, dealt with the restaurants for so many years that we'd love to have the tap room and love to have that front facing um, component where we can see the guests and they can interact with us more than just a can. But um, it also kind of keeps you focused even on when, say, for example, we distribute into Pennsylvania and, and Ohio, we don't have the tap room there. So the product we make can't rely on the tap room to be popular. Mm, it just true. has to be that product that makes it popular. So there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, love to have the tap room for the prototyping and really getting feedback from them, but you just learn to deal with what you got. Yeah. So you're just a distribution brewery at this point. Yep, until next year. Yes, next that's year. right. Next Woo-hoo. year's the year. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Speaking of it, you mentioned you do not look at Twitter comments, but what's your opinion of like Untapped or Beer Advocate? Um. I don't look at any of those either. Um, 
because you you tend to focus on the negatives. Yeah. So when they say, well, it's great, you can have a hundred of those, you have two negatives and that's what you focus on. So um, if I'm talking, I prefer to talk to an individual customer than to ask questions back. Because they can be like, man, I really liked it or I hated it. Well, what didn't you like about it? It's like, well, I like this beer because it has more of this flavor or the hops didn't come through as much or whatever it is. Um, even when I drink beers, a lot of times you try to figure out what is the brewer trying to do. So it's not if I even personally like it, is he trying to make it a certain way and did he do it that way? Yeah. Um, so just ignore it. Um, it makes life a lot easier to live. Yeah. Um, you don't get tied up into it. So. Now, when you're talking to people, um, you mentioned earlier that you would talk to people you know, correct? Mm -hmm. Do you find that talking to people you know is better than just random people in the tap room to get honest feedback? No, no, I like random people um, and very used to it. Even in restaurants, you're used to people telling you this sucks. Like, <laughs> I want my money back, your burger's cold or whatever yeah. it is. Um, I just like that human to human contact where mm -hmm. you then can pose questions back because they can qualify why they're saying it. Correct. Um, there's like a kind of cool um, product study that was done. I think Sony did it where they had two different color walk ones just back when the cassette ones and it was yellow and it was black and they asked everyone which one they liked and everyone said the yellow one is the best one. It's awesome. And when they left, they got the option to get to take home a yellow or a black one um, free and they all took the black. <laughs> and Interesting. so the, the focus group was what they took, not what they said. So that's why I don't like Twitter because you say a lot of stuff but then I want to watch you, I want to see what you say, and then react to the questions and so on, because that's when I know. And then I also understand you, and you know, I might brew a beer, say you love Ameritz, and, and that's great, and other person's like, it's just not floating my boat. And then you know what makes a good Ameritz, what makes a good fruited sour, what makes a good um, Baltic porter, as we talked about, like who likes that, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. One last question for me is, uh, if you could bring something back from 25 years ago and bring it into the brewing industry today, what would it be? What style? Anything, any aspect of the brewing industry. Um, it could be a style too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's one thing in 25 years? Um, I know it can't happen, but back 20, 25 years ago, there's so many undone styles where you're kind of the first cutting through it. Or you've never done it before, and you're just making it up as you go. Um, and but they may have been historical and so on. It's tend to be less of that undiscovered country, or even if we do it, it's kind of piecing little things together and not that. But um, I can remember when we did um, our first barley wine, and it, you never had a beer like that before. Just and you're and we were trying to tell people it's not a wine, and they're like, <laughs> well, I don't get it. And you're like, and it's 11% alcohol. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, you people know? still don't get it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And so that was great. Or like the first time um, we either tasted or we did bourbon barrel age product is just just the effect that it had and that kind of stuff. That's the one thing you, you miss. You, you still have that creativity and that, that cutting edge stuff. But it was just so really, less back then. Yeah. Yeah. You had more opportunity, I guess, to have that. Yeah. yeah, it was more earth shattering. They never right. thought of it. Now it's easy to think of all, not easy, but it's easy to understand this new, this stuff as it changes. Yeah. So for new breweries, do you have any advice over your 25 years? Um, I guess the biggest advice is just one, know your customer who you're, you're, you're trying to sell to regardless. Once you pick it, know it. And then to know the craft. Um, yeah. I've seen a, a lot of breweries that come in that struggle in the basics of making beer. And sometimes it's the equipment. Um, but one of the luxuries we have as a larger brewery is very nice equipment. So when you have equipment that doesn't have the nice glycol, it keeps it at the perfect temperature all the time. Mm -hmm. you, but you, then you need to really know your craft. You need to know those things because if you're not paying attention. Those are things that cause little things. But the most important would be just know your customer. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. Um, more importantly, we want our our listeners to uh, enjoy your beer. So you have a beer tracker on your website, I'm guessing. So if it's available yes. in your, so go to their website to find out where you can get some Duclaw beer. Is it in New England? 
Uh, we're in uh, Massachusetts and yep. Connecticut. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Do, do, do. Um, we want people to go to your new tap space in 2022, 2023, whenever it's open. But mm -hmm. we also want people to go to the the, ball, the uh, Maryland area. So we always ask our guests when we do in a broad episode, you know, what's the best dive bar in the area? What's the best place to get a burger? And then Ryan, Erica, what's the third place we want to know about? Um, what do you do there? Yeah, what's for, what can you do for fun? Yeah. In Baltimore? Or in Maryland. Where, or yeah, where you guys are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd say a really great place near us to check out food-wise, kind of a dive restaurant, but it's called Chaps Pit Beef. And mm. Maryland's known for their pit beef. It's about 10 minutes from our place, and it's a little shack in a parking lot, but it is <laughs> the absolute best pit beef, pit turkey, pit ham you can get. Um, Bar-wise... Probably one of the more well-known bars is Max's Tap House down in Fells Point, okay. um, which is a great place to visit also. Um, very kind of historic part of the city, cobblestone streets. Nice. used to be the old um, port stocks where it comes in. So a lot of the row homes are from that time, and a lot of the bars are made from the row homes. Um, so it's a good area. It's a big beer bar crawl area down there. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's got some fun things in that area to do. Obviously, we have Danner Harbor, yeah. Um, but uh, Fells Point, uh, Canton area is really well known for really cool eclectic bars. Very cool. Awesome. And how far away from Baltimore are you? Uh, we're technically we're in Baltimore. We're okay. like ten minutes. Okay. Yeah, so we're we're on the center. edge of the city, gotcha, the outer gotcha. edge, and it's down at the harbor. But a ten minute drive, and you're right down at Fells Point. Nice. nice. You, you know, yeah, Baltimore is a small city. Yeah. I think we should make a little bit of a bet because at this present moment in time, the Patriots are chasing the oh, Ravens. I knew it was coming. The I knew it. They're chasing the Ravens. And I think we should do like a little beer trade. So if the Patriots end up facing the Ravens, we'll send you some beer. And if if we win, you mean? If we win. And then, uh, you know, I'm down with that. You're down All with right. that? All right. I'm down with that. I'm you not saying I'm that. not salty from when the Patriots <laughs> knocked the Ravens out of going into the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think it was like 2016. Oh, you, oh the missed field goal, you mean? Yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 we were robbed. Yeah. 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 So, it's yeah. Okay. It happens. It happens. My son asks, like, why do you hate the Patriots so much? And oh, I you like, hate I the reasons. Patriots, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Justin yeah. Tuck is the name, I believe, yeah. Yeah, Justin Tucker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. and we're there. We're damaged this year, though. We are so yeah. beat up. Four interceptions the other night. We're not going to get into it too much. <laughs> but, uh, David, thank you for doing this. Uh, good luck You're to fine. your Ravens. Yes. They might need it. But uh, I'm very excited to see what's next for Duke Law. Go down to the tap space when it opens. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, cheers. 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 Cheers.